The Phoenix Suns closed out the first half of the season with a W, moving to 33-22, and 22, and Monty Williams returned to the Valley. On today's episode of Locked On Suns, why the pre- and early game shenanigans cast a shadow over this blowout win, and what we learned from that blowout. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns. Your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen to close out your Wednesday, maybe start out your Thursday, wherever you are, whenever you are. Thank you for finding us here today. We are free and available everywhere, including YouTube. If you have not done so already, please hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. Get a new show in your feed every single day. Day, stay locked on to the Phoenix Suns all season long by becoming an everydayer with this show. A lot to get to despite a weird game. Not a weird game, a dominant game and a weird start to the night. We will go to a moment of the game, although... It happened very early on and, frankly, did not end up ultimately impacting the outcome all that much. I think you know where I'm going. That would be Devin Booker's ejection. This came at the 6 minute and 36 second mark. Booker, I thought it was the same official twice, but it apparently was a different official each time. Incredibly harmless disagreement. No dramatic gestures. Mark McClune from Arizona's family posted a clip of the first one. A bunch of people online, including uh, Ridiculous Cage on Twitter, Suns fan who is great at clipping that type of thing tweeted the second one. There's a little bit of gesturing with the hands. We obviously never know what these guys say in these situations. And of course, the Suns guys are going to be coming to Booker's defense in a situation like this. But Vogel said he, every night, he sees and hears situations worse than what happened between Booker and the official. That was the way that he put it. Durant had a a more um, insightful answer, I guess, at least for us to understand what exactly happened, given that none of us were on the court, which is that because of the incident pregame, which included an inactive, injured Pistons player, Isaiah Stewart, punching Drew Eubanks in the hallway headed toward the locker rooms, which I will get to in just one moment, that Durant said he could feel that the refs were trying to 
keep tensions at a minimum and might have overdone that, which led to Booker's frustration about how the game was being officiated. And from that point, that the 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 energy that the officials were trying to set is what made Booker mad, and it's also what ended up making the officials then send him on his merry way. It changed the energy of the game. Obviously, it's a frustrating one. I'm not positive about the ramifications when it comes to awards, given that the NBA now has the 65-game threshold in order to qualify for All-NBA. I don't know. I don't know if playing five minutes and getting ejected counts as a game or not. There's certain things about minutes requirements, but to me, that's more of a, you don't want guys doing what Mikhail Bridges did a couple, a few weeks back of checking in just to get the streak for his, in his case, or in, in somebody like Book's case, maybe just to say I appeared in the game to qualify me for this award. I don't know if ejection matters. Obviously, the Suns ended up winning this one in blowout fashion anyway. But this was the moment of the game because it's what everybody is going to be talking about. It was the most shocking thing that happened in this game. And uh, it, it had the potential to derail things. I mean, the Suns were only up 14-10 to 10 when this all happened. Cade Cunningham makes both technical free throws, which makes, makes it... Uh, sorry, all three technical free throws, which... He actually took four in a row uh, because Nurkic had a three-second call. He missed that one. Book has the two, and then Vogel has one, and he makes those three, which quickly made the game 13-14. to And then Cade made a jumper right after that when they got the ball back to put the Pistons up. So the game was very much within reach still for Detroit, and the Suns were able to rally, and Vogel said it sort of lit a fire under them. Certainly seemed that way. They win the first quarter 37 to 25. They win the second quarter 33 to 16. They're up 70 to 41 at the half. But let's rewind a bit because obviously um, Drew Eubanks is not a difference maker on an every night basis or any sort of star for this Suns team, but is a rotation guy. Somebody that I think, you know, clearly has a little bit of. Uh, attitude and everything on the court, but none of that accounts for what on earth happened pregame. Whereas all of us are getting ready to to tune in, or you know, in my case, I'm running a little late with some um, different things going on in my afternoon, and it's as I'm pulling up to the game, the news comes down from Shamsharania. Isaiah Stewart has punched Drew Eubanks pregame at, at Footprint Center, and you just it's. Not even the names you would have expected, not anything about that situation was predictable, and yet it happened. And not only did it happen, but Eubanks was so confident that Stewart was the one out of line that he spoke pregame during the open locker room portion of, of the evening. He played because he wasn't that hurt, and everybody involved on both sides of the beat reporting in Detroit and and Phoenix was able to write up articles and do everything else. So a very bizarre set of, set of circumstances. We know Stewart is the guy who had, uh, he was, 
he he had some smoke that he was ready to bring to LeBron James, as we all remember. Like that that sort of puts everything into perspective that you need to put into perspective. But given the Suns' statement on the matter, which I was giving updates all evening on my Locked On Suns Insider community, which you can sign up for at the link in the show description below or by visiting joinsubtext.com slash LockedOnSuns. I compiled everything into one place. The Pistons were, did later release a statement, but it was pretty, pretty similar to what the Suns said. And I think, again, Durant summed it up pretty well, even better than the Suns did or Vogel did or, or Eubanks did, frankly. Eubanks called it a sucker punch. He very much gave the indication that it came out of nowhere. And Durant said, hey, this is, theoretically, we're all supposed to be part of the same thing. You know, we compete against one another, but to strike each other, be violent, do any sort of stuff like that, especially off the court, which almost makes it worse because there's no competitive juices flowing, is just out of line. So I don't know what was up with Stewart. I don't know why Sun centers keep getting punched by dudes. Very weird thing, but it didn't affect the game because Stewart didn't even play. He's been injured. Eubanks was able to put it behind him. He didn't play a ton either, and this game just wasn't close because the Pistons are pretty bad. But that was a heck of a way to go from about 6 p.m. Arizona time to about 7.30 between a, a punch and then an, a, a very sudden ejection led to a very strange night here in Phoenix. But a win is a win, and it was Monty Williams' return to the Valley. Not going to dwell on that side of things too much, but what I do want to do as my main takeaway from this game is to emphasize the number one thing that I said the Suns needed to get in a head coach when they moved on from Monty and how Vogel can continue to accomplish that down the stretch of the season next. First, today's show brought to you by Robinhood. That's right. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still also have an IRA on top of that? A lot of people might not. Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. So on top of whatever you're saving for retirement, Robinhood's IRA is there for you. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from other retirement accounts with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on that 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with that 3% match. Again, this offer only good through April 30th, so get started now at Robinhood.com boost, B-O-O-S-T, subscription fees apply, and now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024, validated by Radius Global Market Research. Let's keep the show rolling here. What finally got me to accept, and I was one of the last holdouts here, as, as longtime listeners and viewers and everydayers know, I was one of the last holdouts on Monty Williams. I just was looking at the talent. I was looking at the depth. I was looking at the Durant injury that derailed the season last year. Both Durant injuries, I think you would say. And even, even down to midway through the Denver series, I was like, this is just... I wouldn't say he's maximizing this, but I'm not going to blame the situation on him. 
And then just watching how things unfolded and, and collapsed down the stretch of that series against the Nuggets, it, it just became abundantly clear that Monty's stubbornness stylistically and unwillingness to get uncomfortable was never going to change, right? And so as the Suns made their coaching search, conducted their coaching search, that was the number one quality that I wanted in whoever was going to coach the Suns next. Somebody who was going to utilize the regular season, take a long look at all 15 guys. I'm not saying every team's 15th guy is worthy of, of a real rotation look, but adjust be flexible, be versatile, throw different things at the wall, see what sticks. And by the time the postseason comes around, be ready to use Josh Okogie as a screener. Be ready to play Durant at center. Be ready with different coverages against Nikola Jokic. Right. And that's not always possible if there's injuries or everything else, but that was my hope. And frankly, pun intended here with Frank Vogel, it wasn't fully possible with the Suns early on this season because even though a lot of the bet the the bench guys did get run, that was mostly to fill out a very incomplete team because Beal missed a lot of time and Booker missed a decent chunk of time in November. But we still got to see everybody. I think we became pretty certain that everybody who got trapped, who got traded to, who got traded out for Royce O'Neal was, was not going to be a difference maker. And now you look up and... The reason I bring this up tonight is because, yes, Monty did come back, but also because this was a game where you really got to see those depth pieces. It was a blowout. Beal's out with the hamstring injury. Booker out with the ejection. And so... Saban Lee plays 24 minutes. Tail Maladone, who we haven't even really seen much at all, gets 10 minutes. Bull Bull has a really, really nice 14 minutes. Nasir Little, David Roddy, a bunch of more of Royce O'Neal, who was a plus 37 in the box score somehow. We got to see it all. And when you couple that all with Thaddeus Young joining this group, and the potential with Dwayne Rankin of the Arizona Republic reporting today that the Suns are interested in Danilo Gallinari. Reminder, join subtext.com slash locked on Suns. Click the link in the show description below. Join the Locked on Suns insider community. Until the buyout deadline, I will have everything you need to know about who the Suns are pursuing. I give you exclusive game day content and observations and more like with the Eubank stuff. So sign up there, become part of that community, get my thoughts on everything about the Suns. I don't go on Twitter a ton anymore during games, really much at all to share my thoughts. I'm putting it all there. 
So that's where you're going to want to go. But as all that unfolds, Frank Vogel is going to be tested. It, it, it made his job simultaneously easier and, and harder. What the Suns were able to do at the deadline and what they've already done with the buyout market with Young and potentially could continue to do. Because easier, right? He has veterans now in place of some of these young role players. He has just flat out more options. But harder because... What this is setting the stage for is, and you're already seeing it, is for every series, but potentially at times even every game in the postseason, calling for a different mix, right? Like, call it the bull-bull test. Call it the Yusuf Nurkic test. When you're watching, when you're looking at a matchup, when you're staring down a game, can... Either of those guys play, right? Royce O'Neal can play against any team. The Suns' big three can play against any team. Gordon and Allen, they're going to be out there every night. But beyond that, I am only to six guys. Take Nurkic out of it because he can't play against everybody. I don't think Thaddeus Young is going to be able to play against everybody. If he has to do a lot defensively, if it's playing a big team, I don't think he'll be able to get the job done. There will be games where Josh Okogie is too limited offensively, and can't be out there. Eubanks. Another size question. Right? So, big versus small. Are you facing an offensively dominant opponent or one whose defense might be their strength? We might see a an eight-man rotation in one series from the Suns and those seventh and eighth guys might be completely different in the next series. We might see some series where Okogi just has to start. Even offensive issues be damned. All the stats that show you that he's been a suck, a drain on the big three's efficiency. Screw that. Maybe he just has to start. Maybe there will be series where Grayson Allen is a flamethrower and he's in the the starting lineup playing 35-plus minutes because he's just on a roll. I could see series where Grayson Allen might really struggle defensively. I know I just included him in the six locks. He's going to play, but but pushing the right buttons and turning the right lever or pulling the right levers is going to be vital. And it's why they brought Frank Vogel in. It's a big part of, I think, you know, we've never gotten this level of honesty from James Jones or Matt H.B. or anybody, but I would assume it is a big part of why they moved on from Monty Williams. It's honestly a big part of why they made the Aiton trade. Because it's one thing to say Nurkic might not be a fit in every series. It's a lot easier to accept that and and minimize him when, one, his, his attitude is a lot different, but two, because he's only making $18 million, 16 whatever it is, right? So this roster, I think you would have to feel better about, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit on Friday's episode with Gabe Guerrero of the Suns Valley Podcast, who has a great YouTube channel breaking uh, Sun stuff down all the time, about how much better we feel about this roster 
now versus the beginning of the season, now versus this time last year, etc. I think you have to feel more positive. It's just a matter of how much and, and specifically what's good and bad here. And you, I think, have to feel optimistic that Vogel can be the coach to be more experimental because he was in, in L.A. and has been throughout his career at least willing to attempt things and adjust on the fly. But you're looking, and it's 27 regular season games left to to do that. And then it's off to the races in the playoffs where it's it's minute to minute, and it's not an easy task. Let's close things out with a new post-game recap segment, as well as a couple of stats and rotation observations to look at as always first today's show brought to you by hungry root you know that i love saying hungry root you know that i love telling you about hungry root for a few reasons it's all about savings at hungry root right they're healthy they're customizable they're personal But more than any of that, they save you time, money, waste, and a little bit more of a discount with our code, which I'll get to. But customers save five hours per week on average using Hungry Root without the stress of grocery and meal planning. Many customers save money on their groceries versus the typical store, as well as eating out less and avoiding expensive takeout in restaurants by using Hungry Root. They also reduce food waste up to 30% per week compared to what you might be doing now with groceries and excess and takeout and everything else. Plus, with our special discount code, you can save 40% and get free veggies for life. Hunger Root is your partner in healthy living. Take a fun short quiz to get started and Healthy Root will get to know your personal health goals, what kitchen appliances you have, how much space you may have to store things and more. Hungry Root will then recommend recipes and groceries based on your personal taste. You can either then take their suggestions or just peruse and choose what you want. Everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's got to taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole trusted ingredients. So save hours and eat healthier. Hungry Root delivers the food you'll love. Right now, new customers get 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life when you use the code Locked On. So just go to HungryRoot.com slash Locked On to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot, H-U-N-G-R-Y-R-O-O-T.com slash Locked On. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. Let's close out the show. Just a few things to get to, starting with the new segment that I'm going to be that I'm going to be going to frequently down the stretch of the season, and that is called NBA Scoreboard Watch. No, let's call it West Western Conference Scoreboard Watch. Most importantly tonight, the Denver Nuggets play the Sacramento Kings, and both teams are relevant to the Suns right now, but the Kings won. And that's actually what you want. I don't fully believe the Suns can catch up and get a top four seed and get home court in the first round as I broke down on yesterday's show in a lot of detail. Apologies if that was difficult to listen. I think I said it clearly, 
point is, a lot of the tiebreakers aren't going to favor the Suns. A lot of the tiebreakers are going to mean that the Suns just have a ceiling on how high they can get if they were to tie, and they're unlikely to really blow past any of those teams. So the it will be a steep climb. But Denver losing is a great first step. So as of right now, the Suns are now three games back in the loss column heading into the final stretch of the season. Both teams have played 55 games. So the Suns have 27 games to move up to gain three on Denver. They also play Denver, I believe, one more time. Yes, twice, sorry. Tuesday, March 5th, and Wednesday, March 27th, both on the road in Denver, both nationally televised games. If they were to win both of those, you really start to cook. So that is doable, and this game was a big one because Denver had the rest advantage. Sacramento is inconsistent and had been in a little bit of a down spell, and yet the Kings were able to win. The other one tonight was Clippers Warriors, which I literally drove all the way home post game, changed my clothes, did whatever, and was still able to catch the end of right before I hit record here. The Clippers storm back 44 points in the fourth quarter to win that game. That is not what you want if you're the Suns because division doesn't do you a ton of good, obviously, to guarantee you a seed, but Again, even just to tie the Clippers, the Suns aren't going to have a head-to-head advantage and everything else. So they're in the Suns division. I just, I can't talk myself into the Suns probably catching them. Nevertheless, that was one they could have coughed up and they did not. So the Clippers are five games. Four. Well, they haven't played the same amount of games. They've played two fewer games than the Suns. So that could be a good or a bad. I tend to just think that that is a juggernaut, and I'm not expecting the Suns to pass them. Nevertheless, still sucks to see them get a comeback win when they could have dropped one. So that's Western Conference scoreboard watch. Maybe we'll get a sponsor there. No, we will will not. Um, Box... uh, Box score oddity. And I could not remember that phrase yesterday. I really do get delirious on those late night shows. When there's an 8 o'clock tip, you should just expect that you are going to get me brain fried. I drink as much caffeine as I possibly can. I try to, you know, space out how I'm doing my day. It doesn't matter. Um, But box score oddity is what it is called, and we will do it here tonight. Here's how I'm going to look at the Suns' shot diet going forward. They are a more versatile scoring team than they have been in the past. So on Tuesday night, I asked Devin Booker, is there a little bit more of a, of a security that you feel or a confidence boost you can get knowing that this roster is able to get to the free throw line much more than previous iterations of this Suns team were? And obviously, I wasn't trying to like throw shade. They were a very good team, even despite taking a lot of mid-range jumpers and not getting to the line, not getting to the rim, whatever. He said the roster is just different. There's different positives and negatives on both sides. Okay. I asked Frank Vogel today about the threes. Is there a number that they try to shoot for that signifies like we 
our offense was flowing the way we want it to, or does he kind of take it big picture and evaluate it more case by case than that? You know, like the Celtics want to take a million threes, otherwise they feel like they've failed. They'll pass up other types of shots to get threes because that's what they want to do, right? I was basically getting at that type of a thing. Do the Suns look at it that way? And he said, tonight, you know, and last night, they took the same amount, which I believe, I believe they took the same amount, which was 31. He basically said, as long as you're getting other good types of shots, it doesn't always need to be threes. And that's that's another difference between this year's team and, and past ones for this Suns organization is it's not just about any one spot on the court anymore. In the past, the Suns didn't take a lot of threes, rim, rim shots, or free throws, and that just stacked up against them at the end of the day. It's a big part of why they had to make a big deal and make a move and, and change what the roster was. But... Because of that now, they can get to the rim. They don't always. They're not a high-frequency rim team, but they can do that. They don't take a ton of threes, but they make them at a high clip. And they can get to the free-throw line. So they still take more mid-rangers than probably most teams, but they have that diversity. So again, I'm going to look at it differently now. I'm going to look at the cumulative of points in the paint, free-throws, and threes. If that total number is high, and I'll measure this, right? Like, if become an everyday or along with me, guys. Subscribe, follow, do whatever, and we can do this together and, and develop what that baseline is going to be. Did I nerd out? Is that nerdy offer good enough for you guys? Let's add up these stats every night. Come back, please. Look, that's what it is. Um, but tonight, 44, 46 points in the paint. 36 points at the line and 30 points at the free throw line. So that is 82-112. Is that possible? 66 plus 46? Man. So only four Suns points came from mid-range today? That doesn't even seem possible. Well, this is a great day to bring it up then because... Yeah, that's that's really true. Durant made a free throw line jumper and an 18-foot jumper on the left, the left baseline. Those two middies by KD were the only mid-range points the Suns got tonight. That's crazy. Okay, well, it's not going to be 112 every night, but that's going to be the recipe going forward. That is going to be what we calculate to determine did the Suns have an effective offensive night. A lot of assists will tend to flow into that. Transition points often our paint points, all that stuff matters. But that's going to be the addition. Free throws, points in the paint, and threes. Can that number be, it's not going to be 112, but can it be high? Can it be 75 plus percent of what the Suns are doing? And I think that will be a good indicator. So that'll wrap us up as we uh, calculate that out. And I just gasp into the microphone a bunch of times at that number. Enjoy. The All-Star break. But I have one more show for you this week before we get there. Gabe Guerrero of Valley, uh, the Suns Valley Pod and that YouTube channel, which is great, will be joining me to talk Royce O'Neal, Thad Young, 
Better or worse vibes this time this year than this time last year and more. So hit follow or subscribe wherever you're finding the show to get that one to close out the week and much more as we go. Don't forget to follow out. Follow the Locked On Suns Insider Alerts. Join the Locked On Suns Insider community by visiting the link in the show description or typing into your browser. Join subtext.com slash locked on suns. Support the show. Be in the know about the Suns all the time with that community as we grow it. We'll do giveaways and Q&As and bonus shows and bonus content and more as we get that count up for all of you. News, all of it, straight to your phone. Another show to come in the feed before the end of the week. Great stuff. I'll talk to you then.